Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad. And I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. The information depicted in this podcast is purely for informational purposes only. Please consult your healthcare professional before making any changes to your lifestyle or routine. For all those men listening in, I have a special announcement that will give your balls goosebumps. So I don't know about you, but I get pretty sick and tired of changing my razors and trimmers to groom my body hair and my balls. So I wanted to introduce you to the new and improved Manscaped Lawnmower 3.0 Trimmer. Now, I know many guys listening into this podcast have probably seen me topless on social media and they'll know that I'm quite a hairy dude, whether that be due to my genetics being half Italian, half Lebanese, or because I maxed out my testosterone to 988 nanograms per deciliter. I don't really know, but the fact is that I have a lot of body hair and it's always been a struggle for me. So the Manscaped 3.0 features a cutting edge ceramic blade, which actually reduces the grooming accidents and has a pretty long battery life as well, lasting up to 90 minutes. It also features like a unique LED light as well so that you don't ever like miss a patch of hair. So I'm a huge fan of the Manscaped 3.0. So I have a special discount code that you guys can use. If you go to manscaped.com, you can get 20% off plus free shipping by using my code LUCAS10. That's L-U-C-A-S-10. Go to manscaped.com and you'll get 20% off plus free shipping by using my discount code LUCAS10. Hey everyone and welcome to the Boost Your Biology podcast. My name is Lucas and I'm the founder of Ergogenic Health. 
Together in this podcast series, we will go underground to explore cutting-edge health and human performance insights that you simply cannot search on Google to help you upgrade your existence. So without any further ado, let's jump into today's episode. Welcome everyone to another episode of the Boost Your Biology podcast. Today, I'm joined in by a special guest um, joining me in from uh, Portland, Oregon, um, which is obviously a bit of a a time difference as I'm based in Melbourne. So, um, Dr. Tina Moore, thank you for joining in and welcome to the show. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. I'm super excited to be here. What time is it where you are? Uh, Right now, it's uh, 8.30 in the morning, so um, pretty early, but it's not too bad for me. (laughs) So, it's fine. Good for you. It's 3.30 in the afternoon here. I am sweaty. I just had a major workout and uh, she, my coach had me doing all kinds of things with a kettlebell and deadlifting. And so I'm a little, <laughs> don't mind me. Awesome. So I guess um, just for all of my listeners, uh, majority of them probably haven't heard of you. And because I'm based in Australia, a lot of my audience is from um, Australia. So do you want to like introduce uh, sort of like your key areas of interest? Yeah, sure. So I am a naturopathic physician trained in the United States, and I am a chiropractor as well. My specialty in practice for over a decade was regenerative injection therapies, which are natural joint injections for orthopedic conditions to regenerate tissues. Um, Some of you may know the term stem cell. That's kind of the newer kid on the block, but we've been doing this kind of therapy utilizing sugar water and platelets or patients own platelets from their blood for decades. So did that for a long time. And then currently I, I have actually closed my practice to patients completely. I'm not seeing patients anymore. Um, I kind of hit the second phase of my life around 45 and decided it was time to enjoy my life a little bit and see what life was like outside of a clinic. So now I coach other doctors on how to do the therapies that I got great at. And then I also coach them on marketing and online and digital presence to take where they will with their, with their practice and their businesses. So that's kind of me in a nutshell. Awesome. So what about like at the very beginning, like when you first started um, learning more about like regenerative medicine and, um, and naturopathic, um, the, the naturopathic field and things like that, how did you actually like, was there a particular trigger for you to like sort of enter into that space or? Well, so yeah, I, my mentor was Dr. Rick Marinelli and he was a force of nature in this profession and a, a huge influencer in, in our field. He, I was his receptionist. I got a job as his receptionist out of undergrad. I had a biology degree. I got a bio degree from an incredible school here, University of Oregon, one of the 10 best biology schools in the nation at the time and um, came home and didn't know what to do with it. It was the early nineties and like the best I could have done was go work in a cubicle or go sell pharmaceuticals. And there was no way in hell I was going to have anything to do with that. I knew that was the evil empire. So I didn't really know what to do with my degree. I didn't want to sit in a lab. I knew I wanted to be a physician since I was a little kid, but I veered away from allopathic care because I had worked at a hospital all through undergrad and I found it to be, I mean, this was in the mid to early, early to mid nineties. And doctors were losing money if they spent more than seven minutes in a room with a patient, even back then. And I thought, well, this system is broken. So I ended up getting a job as a receptionist with Dr. Rick Marinelli, and he was doing some incredible things. He was doing IV chelation. This is way back in the 90s, chelating heavy metals out of patients, doing prolotherapy, regenerative injection therapies like I teach now. Um, 
all kinds of cool stuff that, you know, now it's like hip to do IV therapy, which I think is so funny because he was doing it really long time ago, many, many decades. And I followed him around for a decade and was just completely blown away. We became very close friends and that's the path I followed. So, and then I wanted, you know, my background as a, as a patient, I was a very sick kid and the only doctors that ever, I didn't know about naturopathic medicine. The only doctors that ever helped me as a young person and as a child were my chiropractors, my family chiropractors, and they were pretty holistic and comprehensive. And so that was the path I followed when I entered into medicine training and uh, sat down and had a bottle of wine with Rick one night. And he's like, you got to go to naturopathic school. Like you got to finish this, you know? So ended up doing both concurrently and then went into practice, had a very successful cash-based practice in a very heavily insurance state here in yeah. Oregon, and then decided just to get out of it. Didn't I, you know, I hit a wall and I was like, I don't want to take care of people anymore. <laughs> I don't really have people keep saying, why did I just did my hundredth episode of my podcast and it was all about me and why I got out of practice. And I was like, at the end of the day, I just got tired of being responsible for other people's health and decided I wanted to just take care of myself for a while. So here I am, and I'm loving life. It's great. It's fun, and I get to teach other doctors how to be better doctors. So Yeah. Yeah, that's awesome how you're able to sort of um, implement a lot of what you've learned through working with, you know, people like in a field above you and um, having good mentors is like absolutely paramount. But you also mentioned um, just towards the end, you, you spoke about um, you're sort of sick of taking care of people and that people need to like, take ownership and responsibility for their own health. So obviously right now it's a, it's a critical period um, for a lot of people in that regard. So did you want to, we'll sort of um, vector off into, I guess, discussing more about why it's so important for people to really take control of their health in the current climate. Yeah. Well, first and foremost, and this is, this is speaking from total, um, personal experience. Your health is your responsibility. hundred percent. We can be here. You can find different practitioners to help you sort things out, but people are sicker than they ever have been. That was one of the reasons I wanted out of practice. The patient base I was dealing with was not the patient base that my mentor was dealing with 20 years earlier. Very different subset of people. People are dealing with chronic infections, chronic mold, chronic toxicity. Um, for some reason in the United States, people have completely disregarded their own personal responsibility when it comes to their healthcare and think that they can eat anything they want and that a pill will come save them. I have no idea how the medical model got to where we are. Yeah, we just have a complete lack of personal responsibility here. And we, and people settled into this like pill for every ill model, you know, like, oh, well, it doesn't matter what I do or how I eat or how crappily I take care of myself. There'll be a doctor who will give me a pill and it'll fix it. And I'm like, that's not how this works. So now we're in a pickle, you know, we're in a huge pickle. I know you guys are, I know in, um, in where, is it Victoria where you guys are completely being locked down? Yeah. And I'm, I'm getting reports from people all over the world telling me what's going on. ICU nurses, physicians all over the world. And we're seeing a theme. It's obesity and diabetes are leading to extremely poor outcomes with this current situation. And it's a very small percentage of the population that's dying, but yet here we all are locked down um, and it's, it's a mess, right? And then I have just posted some stuff on my Instagram the last couple of days, if people haven't seen that, really showing a pretty tremendous link between obesity and then the influenza virus, which is a similar type of virus. So we could 
we could ascertain that there would be some overlap in these, this information. And so it's pretty frightening. And I don't really have an answer for it, except people, I don't know, I don't know what will scare people. And I don't know, I don't know, motivating them doesn't seem to work. So maybe perhaps frightening them, maybe right now, like the actual looming potential of like not making it through this next year or two will motivate people to take action. And I'm not trying to be like, I got accused of being uh, thin privileged yesterday. And I was like, huh, this person obviously doesn't know my entire family who is not thin and my entire family who has diabetes on both sides. Right. So it's not about that. It's, and I, I have my own set of health hurdles that I have to overcome and I'm, I could be potentially on that list of being a sitting duck as well. But I think that we, not to sound, you know, negative, it's just like, this is the time we have to get our shit together. We all do. We all have to take responsibility. It's a personal decision and we have to do it for ourselves and for our family and for everybody so that we can all have a fighting chance of getting through this. And the really, really cool part is that it's completely in our control as individuals. We have a tremendous amount of control. Yes, some healthy people are getting sick with this, um, but it's also a very small percentage. So the, the chances of it being kind of a smooth ride is higher for those who are in a good health state. Mm. Yeah. So what about discussing, I guess, maybe some of the similarities and differences between the general influenza virus and the current virus at the moment. Like what, what is, what is unique about the current virus itself? Well, they're both single stranded RNA viruses. And so you can look at viruses in different families. So there's like DNA viruses, there's single strand RNA viruses, there's double strand, there's negative strand, positive strand. Influenza is similar in that it is a single strand RNA virus. It's a negative strand coronavirus is a positive strand. They both have a very similar membrane. They both use their hosts to, a virus, all viruses use their hosts to manufacture more of themselves and they use their host membrane to do that. They both uh, mutate and recombine very readily. So we see seasonality. We see a different strain each year, which is probably what's going to happen with this one as well. And they're, they both are transmitted readily through respiratory means. So meaning it comes, I know everyone's hung up on the droplet, the word droplet, but this stuff is aerosolized to also, right? Like some of it's aerosolized, some of it's in big droplets, some of it's in tiny aerosolized droplets. And so both are transmitted that way. And that is there's a lot of similarities there. I'm not saying they're the same thing. A lot of people get upset saying, oh, you know, people are comparing the severity of this. I'm not com comparing the severity of it, of either. I'm just saying that we have a similarity in the type of virus. And so we could extrapolate that they might behave somewhat similarly. It's still little apples to oranges, but mm. um, it's, it's not like a totally different kind of virus. They're, they're pretty similar. Lots of overlap there. Yeah. And one point you mentioned, obviously, like the fact that it uh, can be spread via air droplets and I guess a lot of people uh you know on different sides of the fence in regards to like wearing masks and things like that so I haven't actually haven't checked your IG to see if you've made a post on masks themselves but I'd love to get your your opinion on um how they can either be beneficial or not beneficial well, I am a total renegade in all ways, but I am also a good citizen. And I realize 
that the, the, the argument I keep hearing that's very frustrating for me, I saw a really great post today by somebody on Instagram who said, the reason some people are averse to wearing masks is these reasons. And it was like a slide deck. And the first one was that health is a personal responsibility. And I was like, amen. The second one was this, the second, third one. And then it, was, it went off into, this is where the ignorance is. The mask is not there to protect you. The mask is not going to protect you. It's not going to keep things from coming through your mask. Um, the mask is there to protect others. And so we can, I'm going to make sure my phone doesn't fall asleep. <laughs> we can be good citizens and put on the mask so that we could protect others. Now, some will disagree with me there and say that it's an infringement on our freedom and it's an infringement on, uh, you know, it's taking away our personality and our way of nonverbal communication and it's turning us into zombies and um, it's infringing upon, you know, autonomous freedoms and whatever, and that we should just isolate the obese and elderly and sickly and keep them locked up and the rest of us should go on with our lives. I, I can't say I'm like firmly in any group. I can't, I, I see all sides. I, I can see everybody's argument on this and I don't completely, and I'm very that much that way politically. Like I'm kind of right in the middle and I can kind of see it all and agree. I agree and disagree, but I think that it, uh, put the mask on is what I do so that I don't contaminate everything that I come in contact with. If I happen to carry the virus. Now here's where people are getting it wrong. We are probably all going to be exposed to the virus or by some act of miracle from Bill Gates, we're going to have a vaccine that's safe. I don't know about that one. I question that, but that's still going to take time. It's going to take probably several years for that thing that to be manufactured, mass produced, distributed, injected, there might be a secondary dose that's necessary. So in that time period, we're probably all going to be exposed to the virus. Most of us won't even know it. We'll, ha we'll get it. We will carry it. Um, some people are known as super spreaders. And so they are, 20% of the population will infect 80% of the population. So you might have a perfectly healthy person carrying a ton of viral load, spreading it all over the place, and they wouldn't even have a clue, or maybe they just have a headache or a little stomach ache or something, some symptom of it. And they're the ones who are actually the most contagious. And you see this in all viruses. And this is well-documented in the scientific literature. So I'm not making it up. Yeah. But, um, you know, there's that. So, like, if you are a super spreader, how would you possibly know? If you're a little incubator, as I call them, I think children could be incubators as well. There's, I don't know why the literature is so, so unclear on what's going on with kids. Kids are humans, too. So, therefore, they're going to be exposed and carry virus and replicate virus and shed virus. But we don't have solid science on this one, but we do know how coronaviruses work in general. So I would say that, you know, I mask up so I don't spew my contagion all over the place, potentially. Mm. <laughs> and then as so far as like, is it going to make me sick to wear a mask? I don't know, because I avoid public places and I avoid places where there's lots of people indoors. And I know it's summer, so I, I have that luxury right now. It's summer here in Oregon. I... You know, I don't go into churches where they're singing. I don't go to big gatherings. I never did anyway. Like, I'm not a big gathering person. So concerts, I do love concerts. I, love, I really miss concerts. But I don't, I don't put myself in situations where I have to wear the mask for like eight, ten hours. For those people who do, I, I, there probably is going to be some health consequences. But are, are they going to be long-term? Are they going to be severe? We don't know. We really don't have the data on that. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I think it's um, one point you mentioned about being um, – it's really important for I think all of us to see all aspects and not to pick a side and just stay on that side and, and not 
accept any other information apart from like being dogmatic basically is like not allowing external or different opinions to alter your your opinion and i think the the sign of a of a good scientist or someone who's very critical or, or rational will always have an open mind and i guess will will take on board information and then you know cluster that together and then and then form an, an educated opinion so i think um yeah, I guess like I'm in the same sort of boat as you in that regard. Um, and it's difficult to like to pick a side and to just stay on one side. I mean, I've done that personally with my own like um, health experiments and things like that with like, you know, manipulating hormones or particular um, well-being hacks and things like that. I tend to actually, I've, I've done a 180 that many times. Like I've literally flipped yeah. my opinion that many times. And I'm sure like you've had that experience like um, in practice or, I mean, personally as well, like with your own experiments. Um, that's so, a sign of being a good scientist, yeah. right? Like that's, that's as being a scientist, being a scientist, you know, people don't understand that a hypothesis is simply that it's an educated guess. And our job as scientists are to disprove our hypotheses. So, you know, it's, I, I, I am frustrated with what, how polarized everybody's become and how like, the thing I love, somebody said something to me yesterday and it, it really reminded me why I love science and why I've always resonated with science. I've always been in the sciences. I've always been, I love school. I love learning about science. It's because science doesn't have any emotions. Science is objective. Science does not give a shit about your opinion. Science is science. And that's the beautiful, wonderful thing about science. And that's why I love going back to it time and time again, because it just gives me that like sense of calm where it's like, okay, I can just dive into this and I can find as many articles disproving my hypothesis as I can proving it potentially and which ones are better. And, you know, there's, there's a, there's a critical thinking process that we're trained to learn, but I don't know when science got so opinionated and then politicized, which is very odd. Like it's super odd to me that I had no idea this. I don't watch the news. So I had no idea this was going on. And the same people that I'll have one post and I'll get DMS. One group will be calling me a radical liberal and telling me I'm part of the, I am the problem. And the other group will be calling me a Trump loving racist. And I'm like, it's the same post. That's what two different people got from the same post. And I'm like, I just posted a study. <laughs> like there wasn't even an opinion. It was just a study. Like here's a study. And I love posting stuff where I don't say anything. I don't even like in my stories, I'll say nothing. I'll just throw it up because I think, you know, whether I agree with it or not, it's interesting. And I want people to have that information because I assumed everyone thought like I did, which was, I, I want to dig, I want to dig in. And it turns out, no, people just want to have an opinion and jump on. I think, it, you know, I think like patriarchy and control make people feel better. I think being told what to do makes a lot of people feel better. I am not that person. I don't think you are either. I think you and I are truth seekers and we want to have answers because we couldn't find them. And the narrative that was told to us growing up sounded like BS to me. So I have always searched and looked and the older I get, the, I'm just baffled. I'm 46 and I'm like, you guys, like this is the same BS I was being fed as a teenager. How is it taking you all these decades to realize, you know, like it's not working. So I don't know. Sorry, that's my rant. But I just think being a scientist is, is to be able to be objective. And to me, that's soothing. Mm. But Yeah, I can definitely, I can definitely relate to that. Um, in a particular, in, in one regard, you also, one of your older posts you made was actually a quote that I think works really well right now. And that was education is your ability to listen to almost anything without losing your temper. 
So what was the, I guess, like, what was the prompt or the trigger for that, for that post? Well, that's really funny because if anyone knows me, they know I have a horrible temper and it's been my lifelong goal to get my, my temper in order. Right. So like my mentor who I mentioned, Rick Marinelli, he was such a Jedi, like nothing ever faced him, nothing ever upset him. And I was like, that is some Jedi level stuff. I got to get there. And I have only come to that through age Mm. and through loss and through grief and through, through like major uh, stressors and overcoming obstacles. But I just, I, I don't know what it is, but I think at a certain age you come to terms with your mortality and it's like, if I don't pick my battles, I'm going to have a heart attack. Like that's no joke. I truly feel that way if I don't pick my battles. And so I just have to remain calm. And if you want, you know, this as you have a following on Instagram, you just have to learn to let stuff slide off you and you have to grow a thick skin because people are going to be vicious and abusive. So I think that, yeah, I think just being able to, well, also just seeing something, taking it in, that doesn't mean you have to agree with it or disagree or have any kind of emotion about it, right? You can just be like, hmm, I want to know more about that or I don't care or whatever it is. But like, there's that moment where you pause and you just be a grown up. And you, <laughs> that's what I tell, like, just behave like a grown up, Tina. And just, you know, and there's times when I get hot to trot about certain topics, but I try really hard not to because I guess the one thing I've learned in my 46 years, especially being in practice for the time that I was, I had a good run. Um, people, you can't change people's minds. You just cannot change people's minds. You can put information in front of them. And if they are motivated enough, or actually I got to be honest, if they're scared enough or they're in enough pain, pain and vanity and fear. Those are the three things I have found that drive. That's what I tell all doctors I coach pain and vanity tap into a patient's pain or vanity or fear. I hate to use that as a uh, manipulative thing. It's not, it's just understanding what their fears are and then trying to address those head on because that's what evokes change for people, I think. And if you don't tap into one of those three, if they just get triggered and get angry, you lost them. And they're, you know, they're not going to change anyway. Those are their monkeys. Those are their, like, that's their monkey brain and they're going to come at you and they're going to, they've already made up their mind without even reading the post or without even listening to the rest of the video or, the, and then they just don't even hear the rest of what you're saying. And so I learned that through patient care that, you know, most of the time patients don't even take in a 10th of what you tell them. Right. So you just have to, and I dealt with pain. I dealt with chronic pain in my practice. And so I was dealing with a lot of emotions out of people and a lot of fear. And it's just, I can, all I can do is plant the seeds and then repeat, repeat. That's why I sound like I'm, I'm beating a dead horse over on my Instagram page. Cause I'm just going to keep repeating this until it becomes public knowledge. <laughs> That's my my agenda. Eventually, the studies will start coming out, which they are. I just saw someone sent me one. Finally, the studies are coming out of big journals showing metabolic syndrome, obesity, and diabetes are having very poor outcomes with this virus, which we knew like from day one, I was talking about that. From day one, Mike Mutzel and I were talking about that. And we took so much slack from people and so much anger and vitriol and accused so many times of so many horrible things. And I'm like, you guys, this is actually how this is going to play out. This isn't like a fat shaming movement. Um, this is a real problem. We have studies going back to the eighties. Like we know that guess who doesn't convert when, well, when you get a vaccine, I hate to bring that up, but like obese people, elderly people and immunocompromised people. And we have a whole country full of those in the United States. So, and those are the group that's being impacted the worst by the infection. So it's like, what do we do? We got to get our health in order as best we can. Yeah. That's that's my dead horse. (laughs) Yeah. Well, 
well, let's sort of let's sort of um, delve into that. Uh, like, I guess the the links between you know obesity, inflammation, metabolic syndrome, things like that. What about those conditions? And I know it's this, you can take it like very technical or very simplified. Um, what about those conditions really influences um, the the virus itself? And like, why is that? Um, I guess something that people should really focus in on. So the first thing I'll say is the crockpot analogy. I use this analogy. I made this up. I, this is this is a fight I had with my dad one day. I was like, Dad, you're like a crockpot. You're like a piece of meat in a crockpot. And he goes, what are you talking about? And I said, you're super obese. You keep getting more obese. You don't exercise at all. You eat crappy food all day. And you wonder why you hurt. And you wonder why you're having all of these joint issues all of a sudden, right? Well, all of a sudden, his joints just started falling apart. I said, fat cells are basically like a little inflammatory factory for the most part. Um, there are obese, healthy people, very rare because it's actually how your fat cells decide to behave. And I believe that they will eventually behave badly. Mm. Given the opportunity to stick around long enough, they will become pro-inflammatory. So you might be a metabolically healthy, obese person for a short time, but I think eventually it is not inherently the state that a human body wants to, or mammalian body wants to be. And we don't see other obese mammals in the world. And when we do, we take forgot we deal with it but you don't you don't see any wild mammals obese um my background was in animal in animal behaviorism like pretty familiar with mammalian populations and so and we're just fancy mammals we forget that so we're walking around in this blanket of toxicity it also likes to hoard toxins fat cells so we've got this blanket of toxic inflammation on our bodies like a big comforter and it, what happens when you put a really gristly piece of meat in a slow cooker or crock pot the meat di basically pre-digests and the joints fall apart, right? All the soft tissues melt off the bone. That's the whole point of putting something in a slow cooker. And so we've got a bunch of people who go from their bed to their couch, to their car, to their desk, back to their car, to their couch, to their bed. And they don't exercise. They don't strength train. They don't put any stressors on those joints to actually make them stronger and more robust and thicker and denser and healthier. They're not, they're eating a very nutrient poor diet. And then they're basically walking around in a crock pot all day on slow and low. They're just, they're just in this slow and low inflammatory state all the time. That does really devastating things to your immune system. It also is responsible for your, your fat cells are little cytokine factories. So that is a huge part of the cytokine storm that we're seeing. Um, unfortunately, also, they don't mount a good cytokine response. And so what do I mean by that? Without getting into too much immunology, when they need their army and Navy and then Navy SEALs to attack, it's not doing a good job and it's not well orchestrated. <laughs> it's just completely haphazard and it's not going well. Um, and then all of a sudden, it's like the Marines got revved up and just start blasting and killing with, without good. There's no like governmental orders being given. There's, you know, they've lost their general or whatever. I don't know the military that well. But it's like the Marines went rogue. And the Marines are there to destroy, right? And the Navy SEALs are there to be very specific. And you have two arms of your immune system that are not doing so well with the obese state, in the obese state. And now you've got a virus that comes through that likes to evade both lines pretty well. And the only hope we're seeing, really, where people are not having long-term antibody responses to this virus, what we are seeing is this T-memory cell phenomenon, which is like, hallelujah, part of the, the Navy SEALs actually can make a memory bank of this virus so it can fight it again in the future. Guess what obesity does? It just 
just obliterates your ability to make a good T memory cell response. So you can see that short-term, this is bad. Long-term, this is real bad. And if only 12% of the U.S. is metabolically sound, this is really bad. This is like, when I say we're going to be dealing with this for years, this is, I, and I hate to, this is like the first time I've said this out loud. This is what I'm talking about. The vaccine's not going to work on that population so well. Their immune systems don't work so well. The virus is evading the immune systems and then causing, here's the other part, when tissues get inflamed, they upregulate the ACE2 receptor and the ACE2 receptor is what the virus binds to. So the tissues upregulate the ACE2 receptors as a protective response. It's part of your renin-angiotensin system and like that's another conversation, but it actually, those ACE2 receptors are there to keep inflammation low so that like you don't have a just shit storm <laughs> in those tissues and they are heavily upregulated in different areas of the body, which happen to be where the virus likes to sit and come in and it's binding. It's giving them more receptor sites. Here's the other thing, the obese cell. No, no, let me back that. Fat cells have more ACE2 receptors. Really? Yes. They, or they have a lot, I should say. Right. So that's a potential problem. A, pay, a preprint came out really early on in this pandemic stating that we might have, we might have a problem here. It literally was titled like, we have a problem. <laughs> we might have to have a conversation, something like that. Like, we might have to have a conversation about this, that fat cells exhibit a high number of ACE2 receptors. So it doesn't mean, I'm sorry, the obese person doesn't have more ACE2 receptors on those fat cells necessarily, unless those fat cells are inflamed, which many are, right? Because it upregulates in the face of inflammation, but they just might have more because they have more fat cells. Um, so that's another problem. So there's just a lot of variables here that add up to, we need to be taking really good care of ourselves. This isn't a not shaming anybody. I, I'm like, I personally feel empowered with knowledge and I'm mad that thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of people have died because governmental agencies didn't come out with what we knew already in, in the literature about all of this. Like, why wasn't this being talked about? Why were we muzzled? Why were my colleagues getting letters to cease and desist from the Department of Justice and the FDA and the FTC in the US because they mentioned like antiviral nutrients? Right. So like, that's the pickle we're all in and it's really frustrating and it's scary. And we're essentially muzzled with what we know. I know exactly what to do to treat my family and we're doing it, but I can't talk about any of it. Right. And this is just based on what we know, understand about um, how to treat naturopathic doctors know how to treat chronic viral infections very well. And this is just based on other treatments that I've learned over the decades and what works and what we have in the literature, but we can't speak on it in a comprehensive way. We have to just drop little hints along the way. And it's, there is no treatment cure or, uh, or uh, there's no prevention treatment or cure of this virus. I will agree to that. The CDC says that I will agree with that. There's no prevention treatment or cure to any virus. What we have is we have optimization of the human being, right? We have optimization of the person, the organism, the, the, the being, right? We can increase vitality and increase and optimize tissues and make it a very healthy terrain so that it doesn't infect more readily and easily. That's all I'm trying to talk about. And so are there specific nutrients for that? Sure. But also I pretty much am just a fan of like eating well, sleeping hard, having sex, lifting weights three, four times a week, taking walks every single day, getting adequate sunshine, 
um, trying to get as clean of water and clean of food as you can, eating nutrient dense, deciding every bite you put in your mouth, is that worth you setting off like a little fire? People are walking around like little brew pots of fire and then they're just squirting lighter fluid on it. Every time they eat a meal, they're just squirting lighter fluid all over the, <laughs> the fire. And I'm like, what are you doing? <laughs> they're like, I have a problem with sugar. And I'm like, I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> Just stop. <laughs> we don't have a choice anymore. <laughs> so sorry. I get, I, I just, at this point I'm just bewildered. So. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that, that's, that's fine. I um, can definitely, can definitely relate there. Um, so what about, I guess, without going into too much detail into um, that cytokine storm and maybe perhaps some of the initial symptoms of the virus itself because i think a lot of people are still um confused about like if there are any initial symptoms why do some people get no initial symptoms why like a little bit on that because i I think there's still a lot of confusion in that realm symptoms are just so people understand whenever you get symptoms to the flu or cold or anything um that is your immune response you're actually just having an immune response that's why you rarely, usually you get exposed to something. It takes a couple days because it takes a few days for your immune response. So that like, say you had a cold and your nose was running and you were producing mucus and your eyes were watering. That's called coryza. That is a symptom that is your immune system trying to expel via fluid production, whatever it is out of you. So if we can understand symptoms from that perspective, it's a lot easier to understand that this is going to hit people very differently, right? It's kind of like, what's their weak link? Mine is my lungs, also my guts. So some people are getting pretty severe gastrointestinal symptoms is the first thing. Some are presenting with no, uh, they're just losing their ability to taste or smell. Why would that be? Because viruses like to use up your zinc and other nutrient substrates via your immune system using them up. Your immune system needs those things to do what it needs to do. Zinc is a big player in that. Um, And so zinc deficiency, the cardinal symptom of zinc deficiency is loss of taste and smell. That's why all old people don't like to eat vegetables and why young people who have been living off crap their whole lives don't like to eat vegetables. It's because they're zinc deficient and zinc is very hard to get sufficient once it's become deficient and you can't taste or smell anything when you're zinc deficient. So there's all these different symptoms that like, oh, this mystery symptom or brain fog and people are making a huge issue about brain fog. I don't know about you, but every single time I've ever gotten a virus, I got brain fog because that's another part of my weak link, right? That's part of my neurologic system. So I think people are getting kind of whatever is their weak spot. Some people are presenting with severe musculoskeletal pain. Um, Some people are getting crazy rashes. So I think it's whatever part of your immune system it's decided to sort of light up. And then the reason people are tanking out 10 to 14 days later and why that's such a critical scary period is because we don't know what that's when it takes about 10 to 14 days for that whole immune system to rev onto full drive and for that uh, non-specific to talk to the specific part of your immune system. And that's when things can really go south for people because they basically, they turn the slow cooker up to high pressure at that point, <laughs> right? So they're walking around on slow cook all day, every day for 10 years. And now all of a sudden they just turn the heat and the pressure up really high is the best analogy I can think of. And they have a very robust response to the virus and that sucks. And that's why we don't know. Seemingly healthy people are also getting sick. Like I said, it's a small percentage, but I've seen a lot of patients who looked healthy. And as you know, are just really metabolically unsound 
their hormones are really skewed. Um, maybe they've had a lot of vaccinations recently. And the reason I say that is not to villain. I'm not anti-vax. I'm not pro-vax. I'm again, right in the middle. I'm, I'm, I'm informed consent. I'm pro-informed consent <laughs> with all of this. But there is something in the vaccines called adjuvants, and those are designed specifically to make the immune system wind up so that you can have a response. So I'm wondering, like, people who like to get the flu shot, are we going to see a correlation, a higher correlation with them having poor outcomes with this virus because their immune system would have been revved because they maybe just recently had a flu shot? We saw that with a study out of the U.S. Navy. Um, There was a correlation there. And so there's just all these very, I'm not trying to scare anyone. I'm just saying there's just so many variables. And that's why we don't have a clue how it's going to hit one person or the next. And as it goes through family, some people are just rocking and rolling and then their loved one gets really ill with it because of their unique um, immune profile and their unique inflammation profile, if you will. And so, yeah, we got to just take super good care of ourselves. Absolutely. So what about, um, I know you touched a little bit on um, making sure we have that metabolic flexibility. I don't know. I know it comes back down to living that healthy lifestyle, ensuring stress is low getting adequate sleep. It just goes back to our naturopathic principles, right? Like you spoke about improving vitality. Like I'm sure that's the very first things that you learned like in naturopathic school, even though it was like, I don't know how many years, years ago, that is like fundamentally what we're trying to achieve as a globe. Like what we should be all striving towards is, is, is building up that vitality, that resilience to then, um, yes, we we're still going to be affected by viruses and, and other stressors, but we have the, the capacity to mount an immune response. We have the capacity to at least fight off and defend ourselves. So I guess in your, in your eyes and like in your mind, what is metabolic flexibility? The, the thing about vitality is I think it should be a vital sign. Uh, that's the first thing I assess in the lobby when I see a patient is what's their vitality like. And when I say that, I think anyone could do this. This is not woo-woo. This is something our grandparents knew. It's something your parents know about you. How many of you have had parents say your color is off? You're, you don't look right. Your color's off, right? Grandma's no, mom's no, dad sometimes no. But that's something that we've all known as human beings. We know it with our dogs. I look at my dog and I'm like, she's not the right color today. Your color, like what color are you? And I don't mean like of the rainbow. I mean, are you a pale pallor black and white version of yourself? Or are you beaming? Are your cheeks rosy and your lips robust and you are beaming sunshine out of you and you're glowing vitality? There's a big difference, right? And I have definitely spent the bulk of my life until recently in that black and white gray zone. I know what feeling weak and sickly and just pale feels like. And so that's really important. That comes, that ties into metabolism because metabolism and, you know, Mike Mutzel said this so well on my podcast, metabolism and immune response are two sides of this very same coin. They are literally the same coin. And so your vitality is in my world, like in my opinion, how well you, your homeostasis works, how well you navigate, how well you handle the hormetic stressors that hit you. And that's what your metabolism is. And when I say metabolic flexibility, we can break it down to like, what's your blood sugar every single time you eat a carbohydrate? And we could get that technical. But really the bottom line is, is like, do you swing? If you get hangry, meaning hungry, angry, that's a sign that something's wrong with your metabolism. If you go to anger super fast, we all get grumpy when we're hungry, but I used to turn into a nightmare. I was a nightmare for anyone around me when I was hungry. And now I'm like, 
eh, I'm hungry. I know I've got a few more hours until I melt down. Right. And it's usually not a meltdown. The only reason I'm going to melt down is because I had a vigorous workout. And my muscles are screaming at me that they need protein, <laughs> but it's not that like blood sugar I'm running on kindling and I can't, you know, that's what I mean by metabolic flexibility. And so are you a slow burner? Or are you a sugar fast burner? And only you know that as, and I speak to you, meaning the audience, only you guys know, um, if you feel like shit and have to eat every three hours and that food happens to be high sugar, you're probably not very metabolically flexible. Mm -hmm. If you can eat a healthy fatty protein meal um, and whether you want to have that be plant-based or animal-based, I don't care, but whatever satiates you and can hold you over and you're held over and you're good and you can get through, then I eat like two meals a day. People will give me grief. They're like, you only eat twice a day and sometimes just once a day. And I'm like, man, that's because I can. <laughs> that's because exactly. I'm trained, you know? <laughs> that's because you built yourself up to be able to tolerate that and like handle that. <laughs> yes, yes. And that doesn't always mean I feel the, mo I feel the strongest if I get two good protein fat meals in and then a good dose of vegetables somewhere in there. But, um, but whatever, it's like whatever. And I don't subscribe to keto specifically or carnivore or anything. I just do what makes me feel good. But I wouldn't know what makes me feel good if my sleep, my sleep's solid. So if my sleep gets disrupted, I'm like, what is going on with my diet? Um, if my training is off, what is going on with like this week, very stressful week for me. My mom had surgery. She's fine. But it was like more stress after it was done. I was like, wow, I was really stressed out about that and didn't even realize it till it was over. And all week I've been kind of coming down the mountain. Um, I can only imagine how she feels, but it's showing up in my workouts. I don't really have the stamina or strength to get through that I did last week. So you have to have all the pieces dialed and then you can start to see like, why am I off? Why is my mood off? Why is my libido off? Why is my sleep off? Why is my appetite off? Um, Whereas I used to just like run around chain smoking, living off of Snapple and alcohol and staying up all night and going to concerts and sleeping all day. And I couldn't figure out why I had chronic anxiety and autoimmune disease. <laughs> you know, it's like big difference. <laughs> so you got to just like turn your freaking instincts on you guys. You have them. We all have them. We're all just mammals. Where are your instincts? You have to eat clean enough and sleep hard enough and exercise enough though to get your instincts to turn back on because they have been poisoned down by the system at large. And whether that's intentional or not, you can decide, but it's like, we got to turn our instincts on. And once they come on, they're on. And you're like, I'm good. I know what to do next. It's just like watching your dogs or your, any of you guys who have animals, you know, your dog knows what to do. They know when to go rest. They know when to go eat. They know when to go drink. Like they know when they have to go to the bathroom. It's not, they have instincts and they know how to use them. And I think we as humans, I don't know why we have, I don't know why we've separated from that. It's kind of mind boggling to me, but I know that the work you're doing is very much based on that. If, you, if someone were to really look at it, you know, like what you just said, you were doing scientific experiments on yourself, kind of 180, yeah. but you were instinctually following a path, right? Yeah. And also like making sure you like check in with yourself, audit yourself. And yeah, really like that, that instinct factor is really just developing that self-awareness. Cause like, if you're going to start a new dietary intervention, just cause you've been told to, or been, you know, you've been recommended this particular diet, I say no, like take a step back and be like, right, is that, how's it affecting me? Like, <clears throat> is my sleep being a bit disrupted? Is my performance affected? And that's why I think I personally encourage everyone to like really develop objective data so that you can visually see what's happening instead of you're removing that emotional element that 
that subjective bias and you've literally got data in front of you so that you can, you, it's, it's, it's a very empowering process that that entire process. And, you know, some people might say, Oh, that's quite like orthorexic because you're always like trying to make sure you're, you're feeling good all the time. But Hey, if you've got the choice to feel good majority of the time, wouldn't you want <laughs> to feel good? Like if you've got Yes. I, I think most people don't feel good. And I felt so badly for so many decades that I had forgotten what good felt like. And when I finally got good back, the minute I go to not good, I'm like, Ooh, this is terrible. <laughs> and then I realized I used to feel that way all the time. I felt horrible every single day for decades. And now that I feel good, I don't mind. And you know, it could be a simple tracking. Um, something I do is I weigh myself every day or every other day, not because I'm being, I used to have a serious eating disorder, you guys, and I used to be way underweight. So like, this is coming from someone who has, has dealt with food issues and uh, disordered eating and disordered dysmorphia. But I just want to know if I'm fluctuating. I'm looking for trends. I track my blood sugar because I'm looking for trends. I'm not looking for exact numbers. I want to see spikes and valleys and like, I want to see, I wear an aura ring to just kind of see trends. Um, nothing like hardcore. There are some people that get really into their aura ring data and I don't even know how to do that. I'm not that much of a geek. I also just measure my waist and my hips, like waist to hip ratio once a week. Mm. That tells me a lot. And that's not even like what exactly number should it be? It's a ratio. Women should really be between like point um, seven, five and 0.8, I think is an easy one to remember, you know, 0.75 to 0.8. You should be in there. Your body wants a ratio. Do you have a big, big booty and a decent size waist? That's okay. If the ratio is good, you're probably going to be more metabolically sound than if the ratio is way off and you have a tiny little booty and a big, big waist, right? That's not the shape we want. And so, and with men, there is a ratio as I can't remember what it is offhand. You might know, but just, it's like real basic data. And then like rate your sleep one to 10, mm. rate, rate your libido one to 10, yep. you know, just like, where are you on any given day? And I keep going back to libido because I have had it and I have lost it and I've gained it back. And I will tell you with every single patient who's ever walked in the door, if they tell me their libido is tanked and their sleep is really messed up, I'm like, oh, this is going to be hard. <laughs> this is going to be a really challenging case. If they tell me their libido is high and their sleep is solid, I'm like, this is going to be so easy right? Like this will be nothing. We just got to get their instincts back on. So those are just some kind of gauges you can look at and give yourself kind of a objective rating scale. It could be, you know, smiley faces or sad faces or whatever, but like keep track of that shit because you'll feel so bad for so long. You won't realize it, or you'll feel great for so long and you should be paying attention. Like, what am I doing lately? That makes me feel so great. What, what are the last, last three weeks look like? You know, what did the last month look like? What did the last three months look like? What, what was like the last three days? Mm. You know, if you feel horrible and you don't know why, did you get in a fight with somebody in the last day? Did you fight with your spouse? Do you always fight with your spouse? You know, fighting with your spouse, people, I don't know if you know who Alex Vasquez is. He's awesome. If you don't, you should know. He's an NDDC DO. He's amazing. But he, I went to a conference once and he said, Every single time that you fight with someone, you get immunocompromised for three to four hours, and you also get inflamed for three to four hours. 
which is the perfect recipe for falling ill to this virus, right? Like being immunocompromised and being inflamed. And we're like, well, we need specifics on these types of patients and their demographic. And I'm like, maybe our country is just really freaking stressed out <laughs> and has been for a long time. And maybe people are living really poorly and we're eating a lot of shitty food and we're super toxic and people are not like paying attention to their natural state at all anymore. And they're living in high rises and sitting in cubicles under fluorescent lights. And we wonder why they're not doing well with, you know, a virulent infectious virus. Mm. Right. You and I get it, but like the rest of the world wants all this hard data and I love presenting data, but at the same time, I'm like, maybe people are just stressed out and hate their jobs and don't really like their marriages. And now all these moms are at home. They can't go to work. If you, if I couldn't go to work, I would have lost my mind. And now they're homeschooling. It's just, it's hard and it's hard for you guys and everywhere else in the world. There's other places I'm hearing from that are completely locked down in military states. And I'm just like, this is, this is hard. And as humans, we're all in this together. So I think we just need to be nurturing to ourselves and nurturing to one another and just keep reminding each other like, Hey, did you drink enough water today? Are you going to bed on time? (laughs) Back to the the basics. Yeah. Right? And it's, it's simple stuff, but it's like, just turn on your mom gene and take care of everybody because really we just have to get through this because this freaking sucks. Mm. Well, um, yeah, we're getting sort of close to the end, but I wanted to sort of uh, wrap up with um, a focus on fear. Um, and if somebody, what's, I want you to offer people some advice in regards to feeling stuck and in that learned helplessness state, what's something that someone can do to sort of get themselves out of that reoccurring thought loop that they're stuck and they feel like scared and fearful? Like what, is there something that you encourage or is there a particular practice or something along those lines? I say the same thing to the doctors I coach. I always just say, take massive action. Mm. that could look like anything for me. I, I have a nice set of Bose headphones. I invested in a nice, comfortable set of headphones. I turn on some music and I go for a walk. Like I literally move. I literally have to move my body because that's the only way to get out of it. And then I usually try to do some kind of heavy lift. If I'm still befuddled, I try to do some kind of heavy lifting. It might just be a few minutes, but there is something about that. Like I won't even make decisions anymore, big decisions, unless I've exercised and usually done some like deadlifts or kettlebell swings or something heavier. Um, Don't underestimate the power of walking. Make sure you've had some water and make sure you've eaten. This sounds so stupid and simple, but like those are kind of the rules of my house. And if all that doesn't work, go take a nap. Mm. But even if you just did those things every day, you would be a new person in a week. If you made sure that you were hydrated, I know it sounds like a lot, but it's, this is like the same stuff you tell your kids. This is what we would tell Todd. This was the rule in my house when my daughter was melting down. I'm like, have you had enough to drink? Have you been, have you had some exercise, playtime, right? Um, has she had her nap? Has she eaten? (laughs) And if not, then, you know, like if those needs were, we had to meet those needs first. And I just, that's kind of how I handle it. You know, I sitting around watching TV, freaking out, turn off the news and just go for a walk. You will gain clarity and insight during those walks that you have not had before. I don't care what weather you're in, find a way to go for a walk. Maybe take your phone, uh, listen to some music, and then take down some notes. Use the note feature in your phone to just jaunt down some thoughts while you're on that walk. You will come back with the answers, and you will eventually create a habit out of it that will totally change your life. So that's my advice. 
That's great. I love it. You, um, <laughs> it's funny how you mentioned like taking going for a walk because uh, you said don't underestimate the impact that walking can have. And for me, actually, like about six weeks ago, I bought myself a um, a walking treadmill desk. And uh, oh, nice. managing to like overdo it, I'm doing like 20,000 steps a day. So. <laughs> Is that what you were on this morning when you made that yeah. video or you did the Instagram story? I was like, he's walking. That's amazing. That's, is that, I need one of those. I think I just need a doodad under my desk. To it's, been the best, it. it's been the best investment. Like I've just had so much clarity and um, anytime I'm feeling like in the afternoon, usually when you get that little slump, like I just get on the treadmill and I'm back up within like two minutes. So yeah. Yeah. Well, um, yeah, we'll pretty much wrap up. We want to make sure we fit it within the time frame. So Tina, thanks so much for coming on the show. It's been an absolute pleasure. And I, I know my audience is going to really, really gain a lot of value and, and, um, I know they're going to really enjoy this episode. So, um, if they want to learn more about you, I know that they can find you on IG right here. Um, but otherwise where else can they, um, like uh, learn more about you and, and your services. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for having me. I'm really glad we got to finally do this. So it's been super fun. Um, yeah. Instagram is kind of where I'm putting my energy because it's just taking up a lot of energy and I'm not real big on Facebook. You can go to painfreestrongradio.com. So I'll say to get painfreestrongradio.com. And that is my podcast. I'd love to have you on sometime too. We can talk about all this stuff. I've got like 101 episodes up there. And then if you go to drtina.com, D-R-T-Y-N-A, you can find my free book, which is a great little quick read. And it really will summarize. It's called Pain-Free and Strong, but it really, it's like the six pillars you got to do every day to take care of yourself and get through this. So um, it's a good resource for people, really quick read. So yeah. Awesome. Well, um, yeah, thanks again for coming on the show. And um, I look forward to speaking soon. Yeah, thank you so much. You take care. Thank you everyone for joining in to today's episode. For in-depth show notes and lessons learned, visit nofilter.media forward slash boost your biology. This has been a No Filter Media production. Say what you want. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quinn's. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. 
That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.